calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Take 15 podcast. I'm Lauren, and today we have a unique episode. It's all about exercise, sleep, well-being, and leadership. So it all started when a colleague shared a post on LinkedIn written by Ben Lucas, who happens to be my guest today. The post was about the importance of exercise, and it really resonated with me. I'm a runner, I also love to swim, and I definitely see a correlation between how fit I'm feeling and my general outlook on work and life. A strong body builds a stronger mind. Well, it turns out Ben's post resonated with a lot of people, not just me. It's been viewed more than 1.5 million times. And yes, you heard that right, 1.5 million times. What made this all so interesting to me is that Ben is a senior leader using his social media platform to spread the word about the benefits of exercise and well-being. Ben leads the UK wealth and asset management consulting practice at KPMG. And when we first spoke, he told me he was passionate about exercise, well-being, and leadership. And so that's what we explore today. Think of the show as three acts. Act one is where we talk about the post, why he wrote it, why it struck such a nerve, and the most common question he received after the post. We also talk about why he's so committed to exercise and the fact that for him, exercise is performance culture. In Act 2, I asked Ben about a series of conversations he had late last year with a group of leaders of wealth and asset management firms about how the role of leadership in asset management has changed. Those conversations informed a new report just released, and you can find a link in the show notes. And finally, Act 3 is where I ask my standard closing questions, and you'll have to stay to the end to hear if Ben chooses flight or invisibility as his superpower. And that's our show for today. I hope it inspires you to rethink what it means to be a high performer and to build exercise into your daily routine so it becomes second nature. Please enjoy my conversation with Ben Lucas. Ben Lucas, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So I'm really thrilled to have you because there is so much that I want to talk to you about. And as I was trying to sort of frame the episode in my mind, I kind of thought of it as sort of three acts or three parts, sort of act one uh, being the LinkedIn post that really got everything started. And actually, that's how I found you was through that LinkedIn post. Act two is really about the work that you do at KPMG around the role of leadership and how that has changed um, in the asset management industry and the C-suite. And then sort of act three is the sort of closing questions and sort of the more about Ben section. So just that's how I'm going to frame our conversation. Perfect. So I thought a good place for me to start and uh, would be to tell the audience or to, I guess, start by reading just the first three lines of this uh, post on LinkedIn. And just so the audience knows, I will include a link to that post in the show notes so they can go and read, uh, read it in full. So you wrote, 
This is my biggest non-negotiable, and it really shouldn't be controversial at all. Exercise, daily and without apology. So 1.5 million views, more than 200,000 reactions, and nearly 900 comments later, what do you make of the response? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think uh, it certainly struck a nerve, right? I, I think that's the, yeah. the interesting bit. The, yeah. the, the sort of challenge for me is, it, why? Why does, it, why, why does something so, so sort of painfully obvious um, strike such a chord with so many people? And, and for me, I think all it did is, is just validate why I posted it in the first place, right? Which is, there is still a perception that that to be a leader in industry and particularly in financial services and, and professional services and, and wealth and asset management, you need to be kind of all in on this this hard lifestyle of, of kind of um, uh, always at your desk that it, it's it's always there and sort of permanently on and, and all things associated with that. And some of some of my team had, had said to me, um, they they had been told to exercise. They've been said that you can take time away from your desk and things like that, and they'd never done it. And until I was publicly turning down meetings because it was clashing with times that I, I had set aside to get some fresh air or or kind of go and just get my heart rate up and get the blood pumping. And yeah, it's for for me um, the the real awakening was was the people saying to me look we only felt we had the um permission to do this right there's kind of explicit permission saying saying the words but the implicit permission of kind of seeing people in leadership roles doing it and the thing is i'm i'm not an athlete right i'm not a professional athlete i'm not i'm not even good at most sports right but i feel better when i exercise and i feel happier and i feel healthier and Honestly, so many of the things that I um, process to do with with my job and the problems that we're trying to solve, um, the, the moments of, of kind of inspiration and, and the real things happen away from my desk. So for me, I, I just wanted to um, to take that sort of implicit permission, maybe is what we could call it, um, and just make it as public as possible um, to as many people as possible, so that so that they could see that you don't need no nobody needs permission to look after their own health and, and a fundamental part of that is is getting up and, and moving and that means different things to different people right some people that's getting out for a run some people that's going for a walk some people it's going lifting a load of weights but whatever you need to do to, to kind of get the blood flowing I think is the important thing yeah so I think what was so powerful about that post is that it was coming from someone so senior in the industry and to your point about permission people were like oh wow um I have permission to do these things. So what had prompted that post? I mean, had something happened uh, leading up to it? Was there some kind of realization? Sort of what was the process that led you to write that that post? Yeah, look, that's a brilliant question, right? Um, because th there's quite a lot that goes, nothing, nothing obviously comes out of nowhere, but the, for, for me, and I, I recently posted again, um, that had a, a decent uptake, right, around, um, reconciling um this sort of approach to life right a balance focusing on exercise and sleep and health and well-being with a performance culture and and for me the two are the same thing right like it's it's not there's no conflict between 
a performance culture and kind of getting good sleep and and getting time away and time out and the sunlight and things like that. Um, it, it was it was a bunch of things. I, look, I've I've taken on a big leadership role at, at KPMG, um, and over the last eighteen months, um, leading a team of of professionals that are kind of highly dedicated, and you can just see in in all of them the 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 effort and the desire to succeed and the drive to solve the, the client problems and, and things. And it's all consuming. And I, and I think it, it, it became very clear to me that if I wasn't sort of really driving home the message that we, we need to make sure we're getting that time. Um, and it's, it's more than exercise, it's more than exercise. It's, it's so many other things as well, but, but exercise was just the exercise was the one fundamental for me that, that changed my life. I, I came up, um, kind of classic consulting, right? I did big consulting, I did boutique consulting, and then back to partnership at a, at a big consulting firm, always in financial services. And that that brought with it everything that that you expect from a kind of consulting lifestyle, right? It is all consuming. You traveled a lot in, in the old days. You you um you entertained a lot. You did all, all that sort of stuff. Um and it took its toll on me, right? It took its toll on on my mental health, my physical health and um the single best thing I ever did was was to to take a step back from all of that and and just focus on um, putting health and wellness at the heart of what I was doing and just being incredibly honest with everybody about the journey that I was on. So rather than sort of hiding your gym bag under the desk and sneaking out to the gym or kind of um, taking meetings at seven and taking meetings at nine and not worrying about your sleep and the impact it was going to have, but but just being open about why you were prioritizing it. The, the, the distinction and the really important bit for me is that the moment I started doing that, is when I started to become genuinely successful as opposed to what other people think is successful. I started to feel like I was I was achieving more and happier and the things were in line with my values and what I believed in and what I cared about. So it's not perfect. It's not, it's not a, a sort of a, a blueprint or, or a Bible for other people to, to live their lives by. But what, what I can say is it's my honest experience, right? It's, it's, what I've seen work with myself, my teams, the people that I lead and, and how they lead their teams. So you made a conscious choice to change some behaviors and to, I guess, learn some new behaviors, perhaps I would call habits. I was listening yesterday to a podcast with James Clear, who's written a lot about habits, his book, Atomic Habits. So I'm, I'm curious, you made a, a very decisive shift to incorporate health and wellness into your life. What were some of those new habits that you had to form and ha have you been able to stick with them? Yeah, so, so it's, uh, again, a, a brilliant question, right? So um, for me, this this comes down to, um, I, I took a really long, hard look a few years ago at why people fail to, um, well, most people want to be a little bit fitter. Most people want to be a bit healthier. They want to um, live a little bit longer, right? And yet, despite that, 80% of people don't actually um, use the gym memberships that they have and lots of people um, uh, drink more frequently than they'd like and all, all these sorts of things. And and I looked hard at, at why that was. And and this is, this is, there's not a problem with information. There's information everywhere. You can get six minute abs on Instagram. You can um, get Apple Health to, to beam a, a PT right into your living room, right? There's no, there's no problem with consuming information in this space. The problem is one of, 
of the human condition. It is around motivation. It is around what we as, as beings respond to and this over-reliance on this honestly, frankly, ridiculous concept of discipline, right? When actually we respond to short-term stimulus and setting our environment up for success. So I, I actually, um, before joining KPMG, I had some time away from the market to to uh, found um, an app, a social fitness and habit building app called Magic Mountain. Um, and that that is what I used to, um, I, I, I built that platform specifically to put sort of social accountability, holding you and your friends accountable to the promises you make about health and fitness, uh, to put that at the heart of, of your friendship group and allow kind of um, tribal dynamics and kind of not wanting to let each other down and falling in love with the process of health and fitness again to become the focus. And once once I started down that road, it was it was just taking those principles and applying them in a corporate environment that, that helped me to, to build that out. And the, the other thing, if I can, sorry, I know I'm, I'm going on a bit here, but like it's easy to think that you've got all the answers, right? Like you you kind of, you, you build an app and it's reasonably successful in, in the habit building space. You think you know all the answers, right? Or or you read a book on from James Clear and you think, okay, I've solved habits. Well, that, like even with, this uh, the pandemic right so some of my team I, I was talking about walking meetings and I was talking about all these things and one of my team came to me and said Ben like at my level I have to present all the time right he's like I can't do walking meetings like walking meetings are great if you're kind of solving problems on, on the phone or, or you're doing a one-to-one -one, but you've got to think about what it means for the team and and instantly we, we were like god we have we've missed we've missed a whole chunk of of how this is impacting people at the moment and we we, we ended up changing things around to make sure that we rotated who who um shared screens and who was expected to but just i think the, the the important bit is having that feedback loop so that even when you're trying to do the right things and you're trying to help you just listen to the people that you're trying to help right that was the that was the biggest challenge because i thought i thought yep solved it absolutely brilliant and uh one of, one of my team put me straight and that's the other thing we crowdsource so many ideas right like so much of what we do in in, in um kpmg comes from the wider team right and having that feedback loop yes so i do want to come back to the covid um element in a moment but before we go i just want to probe you a little bit more on your your non-negotiable i know exercise is your non-negotiable but for you what does that mean yeah great great question um so I, I I do a, a few different things. I, I I am I am aggressively mediocre at almost everything, right? So <laughs> so I, I am uh, <laughs> I, like I'm not winning any competitions in any particular sport, but I'm okay. What what I've really a couple of years ago uh, when when I created the app and uh, all, all, all sorts of challenges sprung out of that, I um I, I met some Olympic rowers that that taught me how to row um and I, I did a bunch of challenges i rode the thames um straight uh, 200 kilometers for charity um and raised a, a load of money and had an amazing time and that that i, f I kind of fell in love with it so ro rowing is um i i'm but just to be clear I'm, I'm a terrible rower i'm like anyone that's listening or watching or or whatever would be a better rower than me but it is um the being on the water just the movement everything it's it, i find it uh very relaxing and uh, it works for me for sure and and i like kind of i've always liked weightlifting um yeah it's uh i've always enjoyed the, the weightlifting side and i walk a lot i do a lot of walking meetings as, as i mentioned earlier okay. 
So I mean, you have a very full life. You um, lead a big group. You manage a lot of people. Um, the audience doesn't know this, but I'm going to tell them. You have three little children at home, what, three under the age of three. You have to juggle a lot. And I'm sure there are days where you think, oh, exercise is a thing that can just wait a day. But I'm, I'm assuming that you really do stick with it. You have to make that trade-off and realize that you still have to do it no matter what. Yeah, so so this this is a really interesting one. I, I don't have days like that, right? Like, um, it, it, and this is this is the bit that I think people really struggle to 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 get. Like, I fell in love with the process, right? I, I removed the decisions around: Am I going to exercise? There's no debate on a daily basis as to: Am I going to exercise? Like, my I I used to think I was somebody that really didn't like. Um, routine and that I was maverick and all these sorts of things and it's just rubbish right like I absolutely love routine I have black coffee in the morning I do a few hours work I, I like I, I get into that process and then and then I work out and that's the point of the day at which I clear all the, the the rubbish out of my head and and I'm able to kind of really get my focus and then I get settled for my next stint of kind of getting back to the problem solving it, it is um uh, religious for me right it's the it's the process that I follow every day so I I don't miss days and unless I'm injured and my my training is 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 entirely um centered around being able to keep training for as long as possible so I'm not trying to be the best at anything but I, I want to never get injured <laughs> I, I want to be able to keep moving for as long as possible I don't know who it was it might have been James Clear actually but somebody was talking about the centenary Olympics right I want to be in the best possible shape for, for being 100 years old and being in the centenary olympics and that's like i like that i look I, as i say I'm, I'm i'm no athlete but um i i enjoy the the process so what impact do you think um the, the covid 19 global pandemic has had lots of people have been in lockdown so they, their lives have been upturned in some ways they're mostly teleworking do you think being at home has enabled them to ex sort of explore and do more exercise from home or has it inhibited their exercise because they're out of their usual routine and they're under more pressure to perform in a virtual environment yeah so so this i think goes back to the previous point earlier around the, the line between um sort of who who's impacted and in what way for, for me i think there's a really there is a big dividing line i, I think that if you're kind of if you've got a house in the country and You've got family and you're you're surrounded by people. I think that your ability to to handle this sort of isolation and and um, uh, the, the changes that have happened, it, it's a lot it's a lot easier for you to do that than it is if you're kind of on a flat on your own in central London. You're not allowed to see anybody for for all that time, and there's no outside space. And and it's walk going for a walk means walking down a, a dark street on your own at night. And and I, I think. So much of this conversation has has revolved around technology and and kind of what's the new world of technology and how which conferencing services do we use and things like that and ultimately it all comes back to people right it all comes back to the empathy and understanding of each individual circumstance and I have to say I, I think um, I, I I didn't do a good enough job of of understanding what. All of all of my people were going through. It's easy to think what your experience is is what everybody's experience is, and and um, I, I just think there's there's definitely been um, a lot of people that have really really had to be very resilient throughout this period. 
um, that, that I suspect are looking back to. I suspect most people are looking back to getting forward to getting back to some form of normality. But I, I definitely think it's not been equally distributed, right? And um, we've tried hard to to look after the the, the people in our teams that that are most most exposed, right? And and most most isolated. But there's there's only so much you can do through a through a laptop screen, right? And so we we do a lot of challenges and events and things like that, and try and stay as connected as we can. And look, it's not all negative, right? There's 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 some upsides. One of the, one of the really big upsides that we found is we've got we've got people in Edinburgh, we've got people in Birmingham, we've got people in Leeds, and actually a lot of them fed back to me that when we moved to virtual teams, I was able to talk directly to my entire um, team at a completely level playing field, and nobody felt like there was a kind of London team and then everybody else and an in joke and and things like that, and that really really worked. So. For me, it's about trying to work out which bits of this can we keep that are useful, right? And some of the learnings. But I think also it, it we'd be naive if we didn't think the hybrid world was going to be a, a difficult challenge, right? Given when everybody's remote, it kind of makes sense. And when everybody's in the office, it makes sense. I think the hybrid challenge of, of COVID is, is um, the return from COVID is, is going to be the difficult one. Mm -hmm. If I may, I'd love to just tag a little bit more on this sort of the tension on performance culture versus sort of exercising. There was a, a comment on your original post that said, great post, make sure to defend the junior guys when they tell their manager, I can't make that meeting, I'm at the gym. And then you just wrote, you mentioned a, a, another post and um, you said the most, probably the most common question you received after your, lowest, your last post was, how do you reconcile your views on exercise, sleep and time away from the desk with the performance culture. And in your mind, they're one and the same, that there is no division between those two. But for many, there is still a division. So how do you get that message out that it's more broadly incorporated, that people say, it's okay, you have permission? Yeah, I, look, I, and it's important that we understand what I say. I, what I'm not saying is that you, everybody else's performance culture is, is mine, right? So what, what I am explicitly saying is that high performance for me and for the teams that I lead is when those people are the best possible versions of themselves, myself included, right? And those people are rested, they are inspired, they have had their time to, I mean, we, we had a we had a conversation, we have, the, everybody has them, right, these days, huddles, right? We have the, the big team huddle. And we were, we were chatting about, when was the last time you were kind of at your desk and you had a moment of inspiration? almost never right you're walking the dog you're you've got off um a rowing machine you've been for a run and you've and it's and it's hit you as you're in the shower afterwards right like that uh, the, the things that the, the the key elements needed for creative thinking right are, are not all just right in front of you on a zoom or a, or a microsoft teams right and that that is key so when i talk about reconciling performance culture i can say with absolute credibility about my own experience, right? Around what I believe has helped me build my career and lead the teams that I've led. I can also talk about the observations of people that I've seen be successful. Doesn't mean it's for everyone and it doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. But what I am absolutely certain of is I, I, I was, I had success earlier in my career and I had success later in my career. And the success that I had later in my career when it was balanced and I was being my whole self and I was very honest about who I was, was far, far more rewarding and actually felt like success rather than 
the first time round where actually really I felt like I was kind of playing a part and um, doing what, what, what kind of corporate city living should be. Right. So in your second post, you also talk a lot about the importance of sleep. And is that something that you like to, do you have a certain number of hours? Are you fairly dogmatic about sleep? I don't know how you manage sleep with three little ones and a newborn in the house, but um, there you go. They, they helped. They helped me, right? So um, I was terrible at sleep. And, and if I, look, like so many of these things, like I didn't have the answer. I didn't come up with the answer for, for this, right? Somebody smart told me, look, your sleep really matters, right? Start thinking about it. And I read a little bit about it and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And, and I, I just started going to bed a bit earlier rather than trying to stay up as late as I can. I had this thing where I was like, my day was long, the hours were long. Uh, so whatever time it finished, I always wanted to have a certain amount of time, which I considered kind of like my time. But actually all I was doing was eating into my sleep, right? And and then my boys would be up at 5.30 or, or 6 or whatever time it was. And and, it, and and you're off and you're starting your day. Um, I, I think as soon as I let that go and I just started going to bed as soon as I was tired, right? And that really is quite a lot earlier than, than people would think. It's almost embarrassing how early I go to bed. Um, but I wake up without an alarm every morning and um, I'm, I'm there for when my boys get up at sort of 5.30, 5.45. That is great. I, I mean, I think sleepers so underrated and so incredibly powerful. It made There's a big a great, difference. Uh, Ted, yes. Yeah. Um, Ariana Huffington did a TED talk in 2010, really on the power of a good night's sleep. And instead of people sort of bragging about our sleep deficits, we should be actually wanting to sleep more. And she says we can sleep our way to increased productivity and happiness and smarter decision making. I think that's absolutely true. So now I'd love to just sort of segue a little bit into what I'd call our sort of the act two of our conversation. Very good. Um, when I was looking on the internet, I found this great clip of you speaking about, um, I guess, a bit of a survey that you'd done last year where you spoke to 50 leaders of wealth and asset management firms. And the results, as you said, were, were really fascinating. You were really looking at how leadership had changed um, in the asset management and wealth industry over, I guess, the period of COVID. There were a number of incredible takeaways, and I'm wondering if you could just tell us a few of those. And I, I believe when we were talking earlier, some of these findings have now been put into a report. So if, if the audience wants to go and read some more, they might be able to find it on the internet as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think to, to set some context, um, when I took on the the role leading the the consulting business for for wealth and asset management in in the UK for KPMG, I I was I had I had a number of things that were very very important to me. Part of it was um, the the world is changing, and people like, love to say the world's changing faster than it's ever changed before. And people love to say that if if firms don't respond, then they're in all sorts of trouble. And actually, um, look that that's partially true but also there was a, a front cover of the economist god knows how long ago where they had like fs institutions must transform or or die or something along those lines right um and it was in 1998 and it's like well they've survived they're still surviving they're still doing very well right so 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 um there's a sort of we've got to set this against the backdrop of of kind of common sense but then beyond that it would, it would be remiss of us to, to ignore very fundamental macro changes that are happening, right? Smartphones have, have empowered and connected us in a way that I don't think anyone could have imagined even 10 years ago, right? The, the cloud has made it 
easier to build and then scale things incredibly quickly and, and actually much more cheaply, right? So that looks at then a disruption element to the economy. The internet of things is, is starting to really bring everything together and blend the digital and the physical world in completely new ways. And then the way that, that technology and data intersect and the ability to, to look up the massive amount of data that everything I just talked about as throwing out and then interrogate that with artificial intelligence, machine learning and all things around that, you think, well, you, <laughs> it would be hard not to imagine a, a dramatically different world. But it goes back to what I was saying before, right? Um, this is, everything that I've just said is technology. Everything is technology, technology, technology. All people want to talk about is technology. It only matters when it comes back to people. Right? It only matters when it comes back to the people side of things. And that, that was what was fascinating. I, I wanted to, to get around the, the, the most influential leaders of the wealth and asset management space to understand sort of how they were processing this and, and who was sort of um, really taking the lead on, on the forward thinking side of things and what were the things that they were focusing on and how were they doing it and what they were executing on. What, what was amazing is it was actually there was a massive amount of consistency, right? There were very, very few people that sort of, oh, no, it's, it's broadly the same. It, it, there was a huge sort of sense of change is coming. We want to be at the front of that change. And our role is much broader than just deploying capital for return, right? That's, that's the important bit, I think. And I think it starts at the top, right? You've, you've got the, the sort of chief execs of these organizations now just really, I think they've known it for a long time, but really becoming more public and more vocal now around their role in wider society and the importance of what you can do when the power of trillions of dollars wakes up to societal issues, right? And ESG and all things around that. And I think that was that was kind of fascinating, but also quite inspiring as well to hear some of leaders like Anne Richards and, and Stuart White and people like that talk about the role that they believe that they, their firms play in, in, in this. So one of the other things you mentioned uh, in that video clip, uh, well, two of the things that I thought were really interesting one was that the term C-suite has, and I think your words were, an old world sort of connotation that was tied to legacy and hierarchical uh, you know, connotations, and we need to find better language. Have you thought more about that language and, and what it might look like? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, look, the, the bit of that that I stand by is that I think the terminology is, is old world, right? I think it brings with it a whole a heap of connotations around hierarchy and legacy and disconnected and kind of uh, a group of stuffy stuffy guys sat in, in a boardroom somewhere making decisions about the rest of the world and i just i just think that doesn't reflect the industry that we're in anymore and 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 actually so so much of what everybody was talking about was focused on diversity and driving change and, and playing a bigger role in society and, do, and uh, ma making capital work for good and, and things like that. So I, look, I don't think it's, it's my place or our place to individually come up with what that sort of new language looks like, but I think it's already starting to to materialize, right? You see fintechs um, like, like uh, Wombat and Tumalo, who, who the sorts of firms that, that are kind of really talking about shareholder activism and the language that they use when they talk about it. And you can see that some of the changes that have happened in, across wider society are now starting to impact the wealth and asset management space. Yes. I think one of the things that you had said was also the mass adoption of technology has led to dramatically flatter organizations was one of the observations. 
So one of the things, it was a phrase that I loved. Uh, you said many people wanted to hold on to, and the quote was, the COVID muscle memory. I thought it was really, really interesting. So this idea that we can respond really rapidly, um, but then will we, will we hold on to the things that we learned, what will persist? Um, that was really fascinating to me. Yeah. So I, look, I'm I'm broadly a very positive person, right? And and I, I I'm also quite an honest person. So I I think that that is an aspiration that many people have. I think that we are institutionally set against that in many ways, right? So it is it is very very difficult for large organisations to respond at the speed and scale that we did without a, a mass trigger event of the of the nature of COVID. So I think. It's a bit like when when people say um, we want to hire entrepreneurs and we want to build intrapreneurs, and it's like, well, you, you don't get the the upside and all the um, uh, successes of, of the things that come with entrepreneurship without some of the downside risk, right? And you 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 don't get the kind of mass scale change and the ability to adapt that quickly without some form of trigger event, right? But I think what what some of the the really forward thinking firms have done is look at how they've responded and then try to really take what went well and apply that in other parts of their business. And I've seen that done a number of times now in, in areas from investment to distribution to ops, right? And, and I think that is, I, I think, uh, potentially very, very powerful to set them up for success for the future. Yeah. So you're both a leader, but you also think about leadership in other contexts. And one of the questions I have, particularly during COVID, is how uh, organizations are building trust. And I, I saw something last week from Simon Sinek, who was just saying that you know trust is what happens kind of in those off-the-cuff meetings in the hallway or between meetings. And he had this sort of great analogy. He said, um, you know, you know, music is what happens sort of between the notes. Um, and so trust is what happens sort of between the meetings. So in your experience, uh, you've done, I guess, a hybrid model for, or maybe an entirely remote model for the last year, thinking kind of going forward, how will you and how will you advise others to help to continue to build that trust? Yeah, I, I mean, this this goes back to the, the point I made earlier about the hybrid world, all right? And, and none of us are crystal ball gazers, right? But um, I think... The, the the one thing that there's, there's not lots of positives um, to to come out of something so so terrible at a societal level as COVID, but there is there is something in in shared experience, right? That we've all been through this together. There is a togetherness that comes out of it, and I think keeping that sense of we're in this together is something that my teams are trying really, really hard to, to focus on, right? And what ways we can do that. And some of that is things like exercise and challenges and, and things like that. And some of it is things about the ways of communication. And and this, like, are we just going to default back to nine of us in a meeting room and two people on a, on a conference call? No, right? We're going to do better than that. But we don't know, I don't think, completely what that looks like, right? I think we're in this, this, this transitional phase now where learning what what that uh, i hate the phrase and no, i'm not going to say it i was going to say the new normal but <laughs> 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 we nearly got all the way through this without saying it so. 
<laughs> ding ding. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. So we will now sort of segue into the, the act three. This is the easy part for you, Ben. It's just a couple of, or three questions at the end that just tells me a little bit more about you and tells the audience a little bit about you. And it's really kind of lighthearted. And I'm glad that you're an optimist because our last question, or the first of the last questions is what we call the, the ray of sunshine question. And that is uh, just one long lasting, but positive change that you hope to see as a result of the pandemic. I, I think that a lot of people were, because I believe we're products of our environment and because many, many people went to work, put on the same suit, went or uh, same dress and went to the, to the same office. We believe that's what their lives were. And I think what, this has done for a lot of people is cause them to think about what really, really matters to them. And I think that that is incredibly valuable and that I think people are changing the ways they think about work and the role that it plays in their wider life and the other things that matter to them. And I think that that reflection is incredibly powerful. Great. So the second question, and this is what I call the NASA question, and it came from a, a middle school. I, I don't like the sound of a NASA book. question at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's easy, I promise you. Um, you're about to go on a, a long duration space flight and you can take one item with you on that flight. What do you choose? I, I, I'd, I'd have to. I, I'm going to have to give you the the cliched. Like the the honest answer is, I would take a picture of my family. Right. That's the that's the honest answer. If 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 I was allowed something other than a picture of my family, I'd take a skipping rope. <laughs> but uh, good one. <laughs> going to tell me that skipping ropes don't work in space. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick with a picture of the well, family. Okay. And speaking of space, the final question is um, to get you to think about a superpower. And you're allowed to choose either one of these superpowers, um, flight or invisibility. Uh, whichever one you pick, you're the only one in the world that has that superpower. Which one do you pick and what do you do with it? What, what's, the what's the first option? Flight. Oh, and the obvious. second is invisibility. I don't need to hear the second option. It's flight, obviously, right? So, so I, I, I spend um, my eldest boy is only three, but we, we, when we do storytelling at night, like he, he likes to, uh, he loves stories about birds, right? So, uh, um, I, I, I think the idea of his daddy flying around all over the place would just make him a <laughs> make him incredibly happy. So, uh, yeah, no, make you into more of a superhero. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, for, for him, maybe at least, but uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely flight. I mean, God, who, who wouldn't choose flight, right? It's a, that'd be incredible. I think that'd be amazing. <laughs> well, well, some do choose invisibility and it's usually for quite interesting reasons. So, um, yep, flight it is today. So, um, Ben, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed the chat. You've been listening to the Take 15 podcast from CFA Institute. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can do so on our YouTube channel or wherever you listen to the show. That way, you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate a rating and review. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. And a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting, or legal advice, please consult a professional. I'm Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week.